Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Slimcast with me, Ginger Slim. Uh, I hope you're all doing well out there, surviving, staying safe and sane. Um, it's been a good week, all in all. I've been keeping myself motivated. Got lots of writing jobs on at the moment, so that's good to keep me uh, keep my mind straight. Um, and I've been keeping the blog updated regularly. I'll give you some pics from that in a minute. Um, thanks for all the feedback on last week's episode, which featured an interview with Bailey's Brown. It seems to have gone down well, as did the previous week's episode with uh, Emily Catherine. I say previous week, I think it's been about enough every fortnight, but um, I'm back to one a week for the foreseeable future. Um, so yeah, everything going good here. Um, nothing much to update you with book-wise. I know you've been fiending for a fresh book update from me. I've got some more books in the stash, which came through on my order, but um, I've yet to start them. So I've got um, Anthony Bourdain's Kitchen Confidential, which is, I think, the book that sort of changed his uh, career trajectory uh, back in the day, which I'm still yet to read, despite being a massive fan of the late, great Bourdain. Um, Speaking of which, there's a documentary which is due out fairly soon, I think, um, which is all about his life. Um, So, yeah, it looks set to be very very interesting and speaking of documentaries the new film slash documentary from Questlove um, is very much worth your um, attention and investment it's called Summer of Soul or When the Revolution Could Not Be Televised Um, and it's a documentary which focuses on the lost footage previously lost footage of um the harlem cultural festival which happened in 1969 um and was attended by thousands of people in a celebration of black history and black culture and um black music and fashion and all those good things um performances from stevie wonder um maybe staples the staples family um sly and family stone um but the footage, I mean, this is going back sort of 50 years now, over 50 years, um, 1969, which is a very important era for black history anyway. Um, recent assassination of Martin Luther King, um, Black Panthers are in full force, um, civil rights movement, you know, all, all, all of that was sort of coming to boiling point. And I mean, the whole... There was a lot of civil unrest in America in general back then. I think that's the sort of time of the Barclay riots and everything like that. So um, it was a very important time for black people and for America as a whole. But the footage has been sat in a basement somewhere for the last 50 years. And I don't think it had ever been seen before um, Questlove brought it to the screen. Um, as you'll learn from the documentary when you watch it, that the... Um, the man who filmed the footage tried to sell it to a number of people afterwards, um, even changing the name to the Black Woodstock, because I think that was the same year that Woodstock took place. Um, but no one was interested because no one gave a fuck about Harlem in, in short. So um, tragically, the footage went unseen. And um, and yeah, tra- it is a tragedy because it's such a um, some moving, I mean, more moving in hindsight because of, you know, what we're dealing with now and black people are dealing with now and have been dealing with ever since then and before then um 
so yeah, check that out if you can. I think it's available on Hulu. Um, if you've got access to that. Um, but yeah, Summer of Soul, it's called. So very much recommended. Um, Music-wise, on the blog, I've got um, the latest single from Peng Shui, who um, are one of my favourite bands of the last, well, decade, I could probably be pushed to say. Um, mainly because they're so innovative. Um, they're sort of melding of different genres it's you know primarily punk and grime um so yeah they're back with a new single little brother which is as raw as ever um the video for that was released last night uh i've also got a new one from rich jones chicago mc and a fellow chicago mc davis the dorchester bully um they've released their single nike versus adidas or nike versus adidas as they probably call it um so that share on the blog as well. Go and check that out. Um, also, a new release from Portshead. I mean, new old release. They've given official release to their cover of ABBA's SOS. Um, if you've never heard it before, it's quite a startling um, cover. And as much as it just sounds like it should be a Portshead song, as soon as uh, Bess starts singing, um, the lyrics are quite forlorn and tragic and it serves them quite well um in their in their style so yeah worth checking out i think it was originally part of the soundtrack for high rise which um funnily enough is the film adaptation of one of my favorite books by one of my favorite authors jg ballard who i would have told you about on my previous episode all about books um but yeah that's streaming exclusively on SoundCloud via their um, fan-powered royalty programme, um, which aims to sort of level out their platform in terms of streaming. If you follow Jeff Barrow on Twitter, then you will know that he is very much in the anti-Spotify league, um, and with good reason. But um, yeah, so this is SoundCloud's way of um, yeah, trying, to, trying to get back some, some power into the hands of the bands and them artists who are losing out on streaming revenue. So yeah, go and check that out. And I think a proportion of the proceeds, or maybe all the proceeds, are going to mental health charity Mind. So that's um, always a blessing. Um, and also the new single from Little Sims, um, I Love You, I Hate You. She's um, four for four now. She's released yeah four singles from her upcoming album, which is called um, Sometimes I Might Be Introvert. That's not due until the beginning of September, but the four singles have been, um, yeah, have all been great, very varied, very stellar production from Inflow. Um, and this one is no exception. So, yeah, go and check those out. Um, and that brings us back to today's episode. And I'm very pleased to be able to bring you another interview with another one of my favourite producers, this time DJ Format, um, who is a legend on the scene for good reasons primarily because, or in my mind, because of the um, debut he released in 2003, Music for the Mature B-Boy, um, which, as you will hear during the interview, is an album that holds a special place in my heart. Um, since then, he's gone on to release um, a number of albums, one, uh, a couple on his own, a couple with featured artists, and one with Abdominal, um, MC Abdominal from Toronto, who is... Um, one of the main stars of Music for the Mature B-Boy and also one of the most um, uh, 
exhilarating live performance I've ever seen, as you'll hear me um, talk about on the podcast, in the interview, sorry, today. Um, but yeah, we had a good chat for about 45, 50 minutes, all about the um, yeah the debut, um, his career since then, his roots in Southampton and then in Brighton, um, just uh, yeah a lot of music chat, basically. Um, and also his latest album, which is called Devil's Workshop, which um, takes a sort of different turn for him in terms of its production. Um, and yeah, I heartily recommend that as well. It's his first full instrumental album, so yeah, go and check that out. Um, and as you'll hear, he has more stuff in the pipeline. So yeah, very pleased to be able to make that happen. Um, and yeah, it turned out well. So I hope you lot enjoy it. Um, I should be back shortly with more interviews and more chatter but for now enjoy this chat with dj format and as ever you can check me on ginger slim uh, and ginger slim underscore for twitter and instagram respectively drop me a message or uh, drop me any feedback you might have and until next time peace hey yo this is Bailey's brown aka axel holy you're listening to the slim cast with Tim Fish, a.k.a. Ginger Slim, the slimmest of all the gingers. This is the first time we've properly spoken, I think, isn't it? It is, yeah. I think we've exchanged quite a few messages over the course of, I think, maybe going back to 2012 when I did my last sort of uh, solo album, you know, yeah. what, what the hell was it? Statement of Intent. I think we exchanged a few messages, but I don't think we quite managed to hook up in the end. No, I think I waved at you when you were on stage at Attic. Oh, that's right. And that was, uh, that was the extent of our actual meeting. But, uh, <laughs> and you're going back to Bristol soon for a gig, is that is that right? Funnily enough, this Friday. Yeah, yeah, I was just pulling records out, or trying to pull records out, um, you know, in the lead-up to this conversation. And it's funny how I've got so out of the habit, I was like sort of struggling to get myself in the right headspace for it. <laughs> right, already. <laughs> Yeah, because well, I've just been staying home, mostly listening to jazz records and 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 making music, and the idea of entertaining people was kind of, do you know what I mean? It's become almost a bit alien. <laughs> Are you looking forward to it though? Are you apprehensive? I am. I'm absolutely looking forward to it. Um, apart from anything else, it's with John Stapleton, who just has such amazing records. You know, me personally, as a DJ, well, as a fan of, forget about me being a DJ, as a fan of music, the reason I used to go and watch DJs or listen to DJs was basically for the reason, you know, people like John John Stapleton still is doing the same thing, and that's pushing the boundaries of, you know, discovering music, discovering sort of like lost treasures. Mm. And, you know, when you go and hear him DJ, you're going to literally, yes, you'll hear some classic stuff, but you're going to hear some stuff that you would never have heard otherwise, and you'll, ne- you know, you'll never hear anywhere else, because he's, he's got records that are that obscure. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that excites me. That's the kind of guys that, you know, if I'm going to share a night with someone, that that's going to inspire me, you know. Yeah. So I'm now trying to pull out records and push myself a little bit outside of the box, you know. Yeah, funnily enough, John had a residency. Um, I can't remember if it was monthly or weekly, but at the Bell Pub in Bristol, which was like my that's right. My yes, he was he was there for like twenty years, man. But yeah. unfortunately, the Bell closed over the pandemic, and it's did it reopen it reopen now, but it's gone. It's under new um, management, and um, I think it's going to be a very different 
vibe there. But um, oh, that's a shame. Yeah, so so John was a regular there, and he was um like you say always putting out these obscure beauties that I never never even considered hearing before. Oh, I know, I know, it's mad, uh, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and is that is that the first one that you've got lined up for the Bristol gig? Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I'm just trying to think back. I feel like I did something, but it was probably in somewhat of a controlled environment. I'm just trying to think. Oh, I did. I did like a charity type thing. Again, I think it was more to do with raising raising money for for sort of venues and and things of that nature. This is yeah. going back to like. You know, this probably wasn't too. You know, this was almost like a year ago. That's how long this nonsense has been going on. But um, but yeah, I think that's maybe the last time I really did anything like this. Yeah. Okay. Man. Well, I'm glad to hear you're uh, easing back into it. Is there much more on the? Yeah. There's. On the there's but yeah, I've got a few, literally a few odds and sods. Um, you know, like a few things here and there. You know, festivals, but. Again, I don't know where you stand on the whole, you know, you can obviously choose to leave this out or put it in depending on probably your stance. I don't know where you stand on what's been going on for the last 15 months, but I don't mind telling you that I'm firmly on the side of, you know, yes, there's some sort of virus, but we are being massively, massively lied to and controlled and coerced. And you probably don't even want to start me on it. So I've got no confidence that any of these gigs are even going to happen. Right, because okay. I've rescheduled certain ones I've rescheduled now so many times that I've got to the point where I've just said, forget it. I, I just, I can't do this anymore. Just forget about yeah. it. Yeah. I'm, I'm more of the opinion that the government just don't give a shit about the arts. Um, yeah. And, and that, because obviously you saw what happened with the football and with like the Chelsea flower show and with Ascot, exactly. and all those exactly. things are allowed to go ahead. And then for yeah. some reason there's, we can't have a gig with 200 people having yeah. a nice time, even though, the arts and cultural sector is worth billions to the economy. Uh, exactly. And, 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 and by just to extend, you know, just to expand upon that slightly, you know, by that exact same logic that you're exactly correct to point out, you know, why is it that the people have to, you know, you know, certain people have to be vaccinated and have to, and have to have tests and quarantine and da, 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 when they go abroad or do certain things or, you know, wear masks in certain environments. But if you're like a VIP person, a business person that, that, you know, has a, a high enough job, then you don't have to do any of those things because fortunately a deadly virus can distinguish between people that are just like lowly DJs and musicians and people yeah. that are very important business people that just happen to be friends of the UK government, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's like the whole thing to me personally is it's just utterly ridiculous that anyone believes any of it at this point. But again, I don't want to alienate myself too much from people. I just find it astounding that anyone is taking it seriously, you know, in any way, let alone living in fear of it. Yeah. Well, no, that's fair enough, man. And obviously, yeah, everyone's entitled to their opinions. I know there's some yeah. strong opinions circulating about. Yeah, yeah, um, sorry. Yeah. But yeah, we'll, we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll leave it there for now. But um, yeah, yeah. I want I want to talk about um, music for the mature b-boy because obviously that's where I first came across your music and that was a big a big record for me um, yeah. at the time. I mean, it's still is, I still still in heavy rotation. I even oh, I even nice. got to the point where um, there used to be a record shop on Park Street called Imperial Music. It's in Bristol, yeah. And they had a cardboard cutout of the two characters from the front cover. 
Ah. And I, I, I nabbed that when they finished with it. And I yeah. literally took that with me from house to house. I moved from Bristol to Nottingham and from yeah. Nottingham to London. And that came with me at the time, eventually got fed up with it and made me check it out. But um, yeah, that was a massive, <laughs> a massive part of my life. And so um, um, how long did it take you to put that album together? Because was that your first... That was your first proper release, right? Yeah, that was that was uh, yeah, that was back in two thousand and three, and it was it was my first album. So first of all, thanks for the kind words, and I ne- and I never got one of those cardboard cutouts, <laughs> and I had someone else that was supposed to, you know, was going to give me one years ago, and it never quite happened. But um, I'm jealous that you had that for a while. <laughs> but um, yeah, it, it, it's it kind of hawks back to that classic. Um, uh, hawks or harks harks back to that classic mm-hmm. saying of you know you've got all you know you've got your whole life to make your first album and then you've only got a year to make your second album you know I so in answer to your question of how long did it take me it's like it was literally an amalgamation of everything I was learning over the years you know and 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 you know it's it would be really hard to say how long it took me to put it together because like I say I, you know there were bits that there were ideas that I'd had years ago. There were ideas that I'd partly worked on with other people, you know, made songs with other people that didn't necessarily quite work out. Um, and then I sort of ran off in my own direction with, you know, with my half of the ideas or whatever. But but ultimately, that was just something that I had as much time as I as I wanted to please myself and until I made something that I was happy with. Yeah, that's cool, man. I mean, I read on your... Because to me, it was, I mean, and within my circle of friends and within the, mm. the hip-hop thing, as far as I could tell, it was it was a success from, from the get-go. It was considered something of a slow burn in that respect. Um, yes, yes. Was that, was that down to anything in particular, do you think? Or was that just the nature of, you know, before the internet was so big and things weren't <laughs> being picked up so quickly? Well, I think the bottom line is, you know, I've got to be very, uh, you know, I've got to be very honest and realistic about it. The two main reasons that it was successful, I mean, obviously, I like to think that, you know, the music was good and, you know, the lyrics were good, et cetera, et cetera. You know, like, as in, I like to think it's a good record, but the things that made a difference in why it really was a success is because, you know, let's not forget, I had the biggest independent record label behind me pushing it, you know, which was PS, you know, so... You can't underestimate that kind of thing. There was a, at that particular time, they had a fantastic team, you know, it was like really close knit, tight group of people um, that were all just on the same page, same wavelength, lovely, lovely people. And then the other factor, which is probably the biggest one of all, is me and Abdominal got to tour with Jurassic 5 mm-hmm. around the UK and all around Europe, playing to our absolute dream target audience every night for like a month (laughs) so that is the bottom line you know if everyone had that had that luxury of of you know bringing out an album and then going on tour with you know playing with one of their favorite bands in the world to their absolute dream target audience they're probably going to do okay out of it so you know (laughs) i have to be realistic and honest enough to say that is a massive part of 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 the success because so much of this you know you know you know what it's like there's so many talented people making music and they don't get anywhere and then someone like me comes along and then you know you have to acknowledge a massive slice of luck it doesn't matter how you know that it's it's full of egos isn't it this business but it's like i i it doesn't matter how good you are it, there's so much luck involved. I've just been extremely fortunate. You know, I have worked hard, and I'd like to think that 
you know, I do put some good some good records out, but so much of it's down to luck, you know. Mm. Yeah. Well, I mean, thank God you had that good luck, man, because yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, look where you are now. Yeah. Well, um, well I'm still living off it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, talking of Jurassic Five, how did you guys first connect? Because I think I read also somewhere that you used to be there. Bus, well, it, it was it put it as you were their bus driver, which made it sound funny. Yeah. Um. Well, how? What? Yeah. Was that was that before you connected with them, or was that as a result of you knowing them, or? Yeah, basically, I don't know if you know much about you know going back into sort of like UK hip hop history. I don't know if you know much about UK Fresh, uh, Fresh '97. Or, sorry, not U- UK Fresh was in 1986. Fresh '97 was put on in Folkestone by Mick Blue Eyes um, right, okay. from, uh, you know, rapper from, from, from Derby, from the group Suspect. And I was, I was like, you know, the, I was the DJ uh, for the, for, for Suspect once, uh, once their original DJ had left, um, I, I sort of came along and joined the group. So that's how I knew Mick. So obviously we knew each other very well and trusted each other, et cetera, et cetera. He just, you know, he put on uh, Fresh 97 and that's where Jurassic 5 first came to the UK and performed. Obviously right. blew everyone away. And, th- and that was the first thing that Mick did was try to organise a tour for those guys, which happened in 98. And he just needed, he basically, you know, because he was still working a full-time job um, and couldn't afford to, to, you know, do the driving himself or really pay anyone to do it. And so he said, Matt, you know, do you want to drive Jurassic 5 around, you know, <laughs> the UK, get to take cut cameras to Newmark, dig in, you know, hang out with the guys. It wasn't really a, di- a difficult decision. So, you know, that's what I basically did, you know, just taking those guys, dig in, getting to watch them every night, you know, performing, not only doing incredibly professional. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. Where did you get me up to? Um, it was only a couple of seconds, so literally just. Oh, okay. Kind of... Yeah, so not only did I get to see them doing the most, you know, inspirational shows, you know, their performances were always energetic and inspiring, but to, to actually hang out with them as people, as artists who had such respect for their audience, you know, they were basically, you know, you go to a Jurassic Five gig, they're, you know, you're one of them, they're one of you. You know what I mean? It's like there was no ego bullshit or anything like that it was like it's just basically guys like you and me that you know just had a bit more well probably a lot more talent and and had got their got their shit together and and just seeing the way that they interacted with people and were humble and would would stand there and sign autographs and stuff as long as people wanted you know they'd be there all night doing that kind of stuff so the whole experience for me was just an amazing, you know, learning curve, not like I say, not only from a performance point of view, uh, but, you know, in a, in a, in a sort of professional artist uh, and human sort of way, just like, you know, there's no need for egos and, and, and all that kind of shit. Just, just, you, you can just continue being a regular person. Why would you not do that? You know, which is, yeah. the way, you know, which is the way I've felt ever since. Like, why would you not? I know that especially rappers tend to have egos. Well, actually, no, DJs as well. But I just don't understand the need for it. You know, we're just we're just regular folk making music, aren't we? We should be we should be we should be lovely to everyone. We've got we're, we're lo- living our dream job. We should be nicer yeah. than regular people. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's that's kind of how people it came about. Years. That's a qu- 
Yeah. Oh, oh that's sorry. Cool, sorry, Tim. We, we we keep getting a little cut off. Go on. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no. no I was going to say. I'll be honest. I've I've interviewed quite a few people over the years, and I've been very lucky. Touch wood with mm. not having come across any massive ego problems. Um, oh, good. Be, be, be that US, because like, I interviewed Evidence recently. Um, yeah. I'm doing Homeboy Sandman this week. I've got a few big ones under my belt so far, and I've yeah. always been lucky enough to meet people who are just down to earth and oh, been quite good. refreshing. So, yeah. Yeah, there, there's, there's, there was one incident, which I won't mention person. <coughs> <their personal names, laughs> but, um, but yeah, so that's, I've, I've been quite... Um, and what about abdominal how did you guys first connect um that was through me being in toronto digging looking for records and then just you know just just luck once again luck luck's always a big feature in my life Mm -hmm. just meeting uh, a really lovely record dealer who said to me oh I, I've also got a, 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 a partner, you know, that we do record fairs together. Um, you know, you should go and visit him and buy some records from him. He's probably got some great stuff. So I went and met with this guy. He was in the middle of moving house, but he was like, listen, I'm just about to put out a record of some local guys. I've got to send you the record. And and the record he was putting out was Abdominal and DJ Phase. It was their first 12-inch uh, flotation okay. device. Yeah. And uh, no, no, I beg your pardon. Fly, um, what was it called? It was called um, Vi- the Vinyl Frontier and Fly oh. Antics. The, the, the their follow up was um, was Flotation Device. Anyway, he just so basically we connected, but then he sent me this record when 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 I think you know it came out not long after that. And you know, of course, I was straight on the phone to him, like, oh my god, you know, I love this abdominal guy. Can you hook me up? And that that's basically me and Abdominal just just sort of started our our connection our, and our friendship through, um, you know I would I would call him up and we'd chat on the phone and then I'd send him cassette tapes because this is like I say this is going back to I think it was probably just into the year two thousand by the time this started happening or it could have been late ninety nine, but yeah. um so that's that's kind of when it all yeah that's when it sort of all started just through a chance meeting with a lovely lovely record dealer, um. Yeah, so so yeah. Would you believe that's how it kind of kicked off with abdominal? Yeah, that's cool, man. Because he's he's like a hell of a performer. I remember seeing you guys yeah. at the academy. It might have been the Rock still back then in Bristol, um, and he was like doing sixteens with helium balloons and. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> it was just like it was just a phenomenal energy and quite an amusing, entertaining guy as well, which always yeah. Helped. But like he had he had the talent and the entertainment, which is I don't know if it's quite rare for both to be it is i mean um so also i think i read somewhere that the videos for that album were done by ruben fleischer that's yeah yeah that's correct yeah and that was before he became who he is now obviously yeah yeah how did that how did you guys first meet up is that um yeah, that's one that I can't take any credit for. Again, that that's to do with PS, the label that I was signed to. They wow. had an artist called I can't remember his name. It was I want to. It wasn't Goldie Looking Shane. Obviously, they were the Welsh dudes, but it was something to do with either gold or chains. He might have even been called Gold Chains or something like that. But wow. anyway. That it, it, it was an artist that they'd signed and Ruben had done one of his videos. So I think that was how they were aware of this guy who just made really cool, adventurous videos for an extremely small budget. Now, 
obviously for a record label that's pretty appealing right <laughs> <laughs> and my yeah. my my manager at the time rich he is a bit more of a kind of um you know he's a bit better at the and i don't mean this in a negative way in a, you know i'm not saying this in a sarcastic way or anything but he's a bit better at hobnobbing with industry people than i am mm. and 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 you know what i mean and so he really sort of hit off a, a you know he he struck up a a good rapport with ruben um and and I, and I just trusted my manager on that kind of stuff you know i can't claim anything not one bit of input on any any of those video ideas and they're all fantastic i'm so proud to be associated with them and again going back to the whole why was the album a success so i i, I forgot about that those videos were you know yeah. particularly the, the one for we know something you know that that's just that what an original idea you know there were several high profile videos that blatantly copied that straight afterwards but um yeah, so anyway, I can't take any credit, nothing to do with me, but hey, a, a bit more luck, I suppose you yeah, can say. Yeah, it worked in your favour, man, definitely. Yeah, too right. Yeah. Um, now, going back to the beginning, because are you from Southampton originally, is that right? Yes, yes, I am. Was, indeed. There, was there much of a scene there? Because I'm not, I'm not very familiar with any rappers from. I mean, I know there must be some, but I'm not. Yeah, there are, there are, um, there are rappers from Southampton uh, nowadays. Obviously, nowadays there's rappers from everywhere, isn't there? But yeah, yeah. yeah the, the era that I grew up there. So I want to say, the, the funny thing is, I was slightly too young to be a part of the first generation when there was a hip hop scene in Southampton that involved breakdancing. It was a combination yeah. of being a little bit too young and living a little bit too far out of the main centre of Southampton. You know, I lived in a small, you know, a small sort of place. You know, I, I don't even know whether to call it a town, but I lived in a small place sort of like seven miles away, which when you're like, you know, young, it, 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 it makes life difficult, doesn't it, to sort of be a part yeah. of a main scene. So yeah. there was there was somewhat of a scene that was like breakdancing and graffiti in the sort of like, mid 80s but i only really got into it in a big way in sort of like 86 87 by which time i was like you know 13 14 um so you know by the time i was of of, of the sort of age to try and go to clubs and stuff like that so it was like you know he, 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 well done about the right age but you know what i mean just just sort of like eight it was pro probably more like tail end of 89 i probably left school in like 89 so i was trying to go to clubs at like you know around 1990 and stuff like that it was like there wasn't really much of a scene at that point we had really one one sort of like um independent you know uh venue called the joiners which still exists in southampton um you know where they would put on alternative gigs where you might get a hip-hop gig but the rest of the rest of the time if there are any hip-hop gigs they would be like at nightclubs. Like I remember we had a nightclub called Peggy Sue's and you had to wear like your school shoes and like things like that to get in. And yeah. I, I just always felt like, you know, what the, what the hell, you know, I'm like, you don't want to go to a hip hop party wearing a pair of school shoes. You know, that was the, that, that, that whole thing was over for me. It's like, I'm, I'm never going to wear a pair of shoes again in my life. I'm just wearing trainers. I'm not going to a hip hop club in shoes. So the scene was really kind of like, sparse and and that's ultimately why i ended up um moving on to brighton because i just wanted to go somewhere where i could sort of interact a little bit more with 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 other people within a scene i mean funnily enough 
we first we first connected with people in Bristol, you know, like um, transcript carriers who later became um, parlor talk and undivided attention. Yeah. Um, sorry, somebody was ringing, trying to ring me there. I hope that didn't cut the. No, 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 no. Yeah. Um, so we 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 first got um, we we first met up with those guys in Bristol. And um, and and it was only then through <laughs> absolute coincidence, the guy who was just ringing me then, who just interrupted us by bloody ringing me, Arrow, um, the the now world famous graffiti artist, oh, right, know, yeah, I yeah. met him at a jam in Bri- uh, I beg your pardon, in Bristol, but he was living in Brighton, and it wasn't long after that that he started coming to my place in Southampton because we started making music together. And then at a certain point, I just thought, why the hell am I staying in Southampton? I need to go to Brighton, where there are actually like not only record shops with interesting records, you could just go to like bookshops or even sometimes news agents that would have like, you know, our mate went in a news agent and just found a crate of records and pulled out an amazing Brazilian record out of there for like a pound. I mean. That's what Brighton was like in the 90s, yeah. you know, so so that, yeah, that was basically, you know, I just, just had to get the hell out of Southampton at that point because there was just nothing really happening. But yeah, yeah. So, so was Brighton the catalyst for everything then for you when you moved there? Was that when you feel? I, yeah, I, I think it was just, like I say, it was more just connecting with, yeah, being in the, being in the city where, like I say, there was a lot of records because I was just so enthusiastic and just obsessed with digging i just wanted to just dig and discover more music to sample more music to inspire me um you know i just wanted to just just go out and buy records and you could do that all the time in brighton um and like i say hooking up with people like arrow and 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 before long you know i became a member of first down again old uk hip-hop you know crew um and i was sort of you know so i was knocking about with those guys one of those guys had had studio equipment which was also you know rare in those days you know so instantly i became the guy you know that was the engineer for the for the crew so anything that we did and we had a lot of offshoot projects as well you know everyone sort of had their own solo projects and we were doing a project with a singer you know there was just all sorts of stuff going on and i was kind of the guy with the studio, even though I didn't have a studio, I just had, I can't even yeah, say a spare bedroom, just, just my bedroom and everyone just shoved their equipment in it yeah, alongside yeah. my records. So <laughs> that was kind of how it evolved. It's not even that there was necessarily an amazing scene in Brighton for hip hop, or if there was, cause there, there certainly was a healthier scene back then, but I don't even know if we were a really a, a big part of it. We were just kind of like on our own planet to a certain extent. Yeah. Uh, just cool. on, yeah, just doing our own thing. But you just feed off of other people, and I guess I wasn't. No disrespect to my old Southampton friends, but I guess I just reached a point where I needed to go out and meet some more people and get some inspiration from different people in different places. So Brighton definitely provided that, and the people here definitely provided that. Yeah, yeah. So when did you? How long after that was it that you made the jump from DJ into production? Oh no 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 no! I was still I was still doing that. Um, I was I, I'd already made the, the 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 jump to production in the early nineties in, right. in Southampton. It was right. it was just more a case of 
it was more a case of I think you know I had my own equipment you know just the basics like the Akai S950, the 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 the, the Atari 1048, uh, whatever it is 1040 ST, uh, ST anyway the, the 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 Atari computer for sequen uh, for sequencing with Cubase, you know a little a little whatever it was four channel mixing desk or something like that. I had all that stuff at home in Southampton, but what I mean is I went to Brist, uh, I went to Brighton. And, you know, I was able to step things up in terms of just learn a bit more about production and then actually have, you know, uh, you know, uh, a 24 track desk that was my friends, you know, that that became, you know, my almost my my sort of at my disposal, you know, in my in my bedroom. So, yeah, I, I was I was already doing the production, but this just allowed me to branch out a little bit more and be a bit more in control of recording things, you know, and, and, and recording vocals with with the guys, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Um, I'd say your music is definitely shaped by a more old school sound. Um, yeah, I think that's you, fair to say. <laughs> yeah, do you, do, you, do you listen to much new hip hop? Do you listen to much hip hop at all? Full stop. Um, I'm not not massive amounts, but I would say that probably probably since '95 going on 96 that was probably where hip-hop reached its peak exciting point for me where i started to lose interest a little bit and since that time which is ridiculous because we're talking about you know 25 years ago but that was the point where i started to sort of take much more interest in jazz and then you know in turn other music that i discovered through that but jazz was really the first thing i discovered outside of hip-hop where i was looking for things to sample and my in- my interest in hip-hop became less and my interest in all different different types of music just like i say that really started to take over so i still do listen to some you know contemporary hip-hop i have con- continued to do that throughout the last 25 years but yeah, that 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 does seem to decrease <laughs> as the years go by, and 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 where, for example, you had, you know, let's say, I don't want to keep using Jurassic Five as an example, but like in let's say '97 they had their EP out, or was it '98, and that was really exciting and inspirational, and, and it's inspirational to me because of the types of samples they were using, the fact that they were still harking back to the old school stuff that I was very much still enthusiastic about. Um, you know, that that was, you know, I was there was still a lot of good hip. You know, there's a lot of good independent stuff coming out at that time as well. Whereas the more and more the years went by, the less and less stuff I found that really spoke to me. And then as hip hop, you know, understandably evolved and moved on, you know, we all we all kind of went off in different directions and, and, and you know, different people followed different paths, didn't they? I, I, yeah. I even got bored of the whole old school thing eventually myself, you know, which is hence really why I, I i made an album like i did you know recently you know this devil's workshop is like i wanted to i wanted to sort of branch out more into you know instrumental music and soundscapes mm-hmm. and 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 that kind of thing because even i got bored of the whole old school thing that i that i'd been you know kicking the ass out of for years <laughs> yeah um i was actually going to ask about the, the new album obviously um it was yeah. your first is, is that your first full instrumental project it is yeah to do an yeah the first time i've done an entire album of that kind of thing yeah and was there a reason for that other than what you've just said or was it was it something that had been brewing for a while it, it, yeah it was both actually it was it was something that, I, that had been brewing for a while but i just it until the last sort of two three years i hadn't i just don't think that i was ready as a as a producer as a musician if i'm allowed to even 
classify myself as that. Um, I don't think I was ready to do that album until I started doing it. Um, I'd, I'd, I'd made instrumental songs that were of the same, you know, ilk or in the same vein. You know, I'd, I'd done tracks like that to a certain extent on all my albums. You know, I'd hinted at that kind of thing, kind of like, you know, instrumental and rather than you know not just being a boring loop that that you know makes you wonder when the rapper's coming in yeah. actually musically you know entertaining interesting and and lots of change-ups and you know like a musical journey that's all done through samples you know I'd, I'd attempted to do it before and i felt that at times i'd done it quite well but ultimately i don't think i'd really quite you know, found the right formula. I, th I think that all my, all my instrumental songs were just slightly lacking something one way or another. And, um, yeah, I just, I just sort of really wanted to explore that further. Um, and, and I just wanted to have a, a part of it to be totally honest. Part of it was just not wanting to rely on anyone else. I just wanted to lock myself away, take as long as I wanted, you know, just please myself making an album that, that, I would want to hear that I, you know, that the, the, it was just that that represented all the music that I was listening to. You know, mostly stuff from the late '60s and early '70s. You know, psychedelic rock, kind of weird jazz. Um, you know, bits of bits of bits of soul, funk, reggae. You know, all sorts of music. But I just wanted to, I wanted to just incorporate that, but by just. My, you know, just using samples. I just wanted it to be 100% samples and not rely on anyone. Just have some fun and be very, very creative. And again, it slightly harks back to, you know, the whole ethos of, of DJ Shadows introducing, you know, his first album. But obviously, I don't I don't think musically that my album's anything like any of the songs on his album. It's, it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's again, it's like 25 years later, isn't it? So. Mm. Yeah. But anyway... It's in the Sorry. same vein. Like, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. 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 It, it felt like, um, I don't know, because there were flashes of what you were talking about on Statements of Intent as well. Like yes, instrumental yes. stuff. But yeah. this felt like a lot moodier at times. Yeah. Maybe even darker. I don't know if that's the right... No, no, definitely, direction. definitely. I mean... Um, what, yeah. what, what, what brought that about? Was that just how you were... How, was that just how it evolved when you were making it? Or was that something you set out to do? Um, I think it was... It was just, again, it was just more a reflection of where my head was at, you know, in terms of musically, um, you know, the stuff that I was listening to and just feeling that musically I wanted to get away. It's not that I wanted to, you know, turn my back on old school hip hop or anything funky or, or, or anything like that. But I did feel a bit of frustration that. Like, 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 as you pointed out, that I had made songs like this before, like slow, moody stuff, like I'd done on Statement of Intent. And, and obviously I've done a lot of work for other people, a lot of remixes, a lot of collaborations and, and a lot of mixes, you know, using different types of um, music. And yet no matter what I've done, I'm always labelled as the, you know, the funky old school hip hop guy. So yeah. I think that I wanted to really try my best to break away from that. That was why I probably went a bit, overboard in trying to make sure that everything was quite moody and dark and serious because I didn't want it to be in any way perceived as 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 happy and and funky and old school I mean I mean obviously though it, it, it is slightly funky in places still yeah. I can't get away from that but you know what I mean I didn't want it to be I didn't want anyone to be able to you know 
go back to the old school hip hop thing, you know, the funky feel good old school hip hop thing, because yeah. it just isn't that. And I didn't want it to be that. I wanted to show a completely different side to me that I've been hinting at, but I just wanted to fully go there for a, for the course of a whole album, you know? Yeah. Well, no, I think, I don't think you went overboard at all, man. I think it worked very well. Like they gave it that cohesion it, it needed. Um, I mean, even just down to the name itself yeah, yeah. And, and the artwork, it's like that sort of etching. Yeah. So, yeah, it's very. Yeah, yeah well, that, very... that that all that was all very much, a, you know, the artwork. Again, it was very much an important part of the whole process to me. It was important that people knew from looking at that record, okay, we're not in for a, a, a funky old school hip hop record here. Mm-hmm. You know, that, 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 that we're we're in for some dark, twisted, weird stuff that you know is going to be a little bit out there. Yeah. No, no, it's good, man. Well, I'm glad you uh, pulled it off. Um, <laughs> I just want to talk about um, statement of intent again quickly. In yeah, yeah. Spaceship Earth, because that was yeah. a rare feature from Edan. Uh, yeah. Elusive. I mean, actually, not so much these days. He's doing lots of stuff with your old Droog and. He is, isn't he? But, um, yeah, yeah, but um, and and, ho- and Homeboy Sandman, are you going? Yeah, be- yeah, but that's so. more on the production side. So it's it's just nice to true, hear. True, true. And, yeah. and, and he went nuts on that song as well. So it was it was good to hear. <laughs> yeah. Um, how did that? come about um that was something that you know the 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 instrumental for that for that song that was something that i put together and i'll be honest with you in in my head when i made it i absolutely 100 percent wanted edon to do it but i didn't think that that was realistic that it was going to happen because i knew that he rarely did any features which i massively respect and also i tried to collaborate with him in i think it was going back to actually it was it was it was after i'd done my first album and just as i was getting starting to do some work on the second album because i used to speak to him on the phone quite a lot we used to trade records you know he was obviously a big mover in the whole, for want of a better, better word, random rap. You know, he, he was yeah. a big collector of the whole random rap genre. So we used to speak a lot on the phone, trade a lot of records. And I used to get in his ear and really try and talk him into collaborating with me. And I'd sent him a, I actually sent him early versions of what later became Three Feet Deep and uh, what was the other one? Um, Separated at Birth. And okay, possibly yeah. one other song that I also used on on the second album, you know, with Abdominal and Decisive. But anyway, I sent him versions of those beats very early on. And I again, I massively respect the fact that he was honest and he was like, the beats are cool, but they're not they're not enough to make me collaborate with you. So, you know what I mean? You cannot ask for more than that. Someone, someone with artistic integrity and honesty to just say to you, it's cool, but no, it's not enough to make me inspired. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to take your money. You know, I'm so it was a case of when I started working on spaceship earth, you know, I, I didn't exactly have Edon in mind until later, until it started shaping up because, because I probably set, if I'm being honest, I probably set out to make it an instrumental and then it became just usually quite early on in the stages of putting a song together. I can get a feel for whether it's it's going to have realistically, it's going to have the legs to become an instrumental song or if it's something that just it's going to work more as a loop and it needs a rapper on it. You know, you just start to get the, the you know, you start to get the energy from a song and you know which way it's going to go. So I think 
as it developed, it became clear that yeah, it needs to be, it needs to be a rap song. But the only person I can really think of that that would do it justice, but you know, lyrically would be would be Edon because he's got the sort of the the sensibilities of you know he comes from the right place in terms of uh, of old school but he's futuristic he's not stuck in the past you know and everyone else that i sort of um denied about you know approaching to do that song i didn't feel that there was anyone that quite ticked those boxes as well as edon um did i did ask i did ask a couple of other people i won't mention them because i wouldn't want to be disrespectful or anything like that but one of them never got back to me anyway but they were people that i thought maybe would be able to be able to you know work in that context on that kind of song but anyway i just happened to send that song to sure shot who you know sure shot the rock who i obviously yeah. collaborated with quite a lot on that he was he was such a massive part of statement of intent even even though he he you might say he only features on four songs but he was a massive massive part of that song because i was just collaborating with him so much and speaking to him so much and feeding off his energy and hopefully vice versa you know we were just talking our friendship became very deep during that time we spent so much time just talking about music and passion and hip-hop generally and and anyway it just so happened that sure shot w- uh, went on a, on a on a little trip to new york one week uh, one weekend and he hung out with edon and they were in Sure Shot's car, and he played that beat. You know, it was a, it was a very strategic, deliberate thing uh, <laughs> on on the part of Sure Shot. But yeah. he played that beat while they were driving around, and Edom was like, "Whoa, what's this?" And yeah, he was like, "Oh, you know, this is one of Matt's beats." And so Edom was like, "Oh, wow, this is you know, this is dope." So, of course, I, I don't you know, I don't know whether he said hit me up or whatever, but 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 you know word got back to me pretty fast from sure shot i you know i hit up edon and he was like yeah 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 i'm, I'm, I'm down I, I, yeah so it took him a hell of a long time to write it um again that's that's not a criticism that's just just again to show the artistic integrity of the guy you know he didn't just knock something out as quick as possible i know that he he really, really put everything into that. And I know that to this day, he's super proud of it because, you know, he still performs it, even if he's sometimes performing it over the top of different music. You know, I know he's still proud of that. And it, and that in turn makes me super proud and just honoured to to have had the opportunity to work with him because that's the right there. That's one of my favourite, you know, songs I've ever made and one of my proudest moments. Oh man! Oh yeah. I mean, I can imagine, especially the fact that you tried to work with him in the past and he hadn't. Yeah. He hadn't, he hadn't quite hit the mark, and then to finally yeah. get, get him involved, yeah. that must have been quite a boost for you. Oh, it, was, and all that. It, it, it was amazing, and and I'll tell you another thing that may or may not be interesting about about that song. The finished version that you hear, like as in the arrangement of it musically, mm-hmm. is exactly what I originally, you know, is exactly the version of it that I made and sent to sure shot. Like I, I sort of set it out so that it had long repetitive parts where it was just the bass, you know, and the drums. And then there were like, obviously massive long sections of like, you know, wild electric guitars and feedback and whatnot. Like I, I didn't envisage him to write to it Mm. and perform it in exactly the, the way that it, you know, that you know it. I tried to rearrange it when when he sent me the vocals and he was very insistent like no 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 that's it I wrote yeah, it yeah. to you know that is it because I was trying to put these other little bits in and and 
I think he just becomes so attached to it, you know, that for him, he just couldn't bear to hear it change. And again, there was a, you know, I massively respect that. Even though there was a part of me that was disappointed, I did want to take it a little bit further and, and add some little bits in. He was really kind of insistent. And, and again, I just, I just thought, you know what, I'm just going to go with this. I'm going to respect the guy. Uh, you, you know, I know it's my album and he's featuring on it and blah, blah, blah. But again, no egos, you know, you just got to, you know, respect the artistic sort of approach and integrity. Yeah. And he wanted it the way I'd, I'd made it. So it's like, yep, yeah, cool. Let's do that. Well, yeah, definitely the right decision, man, I think. Yeah, and, <laughs> and, and you know what else came out of that was he then played that song. He's really, you know, I think they're damn near best friends, him and Mr. Liff. He played yeah. that song to Liff because yeah. he was just like, yo, you know, I just made a new song with this guy in England, check it out. So he's played it to Liff. Liff then mentioned on Twitter to me, this is back in the days when I still used to use Twitter. I deleted that account years ago, but he mentioned to me on Twitter, like just, just like a casual comment, like, yo, he don't played me that song you did together. It's dope. And then some guy kindly, you know, just a, 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 when I say some guy, I mean a, a guy who's sort of like a fan of my music and, and, and lifts music. He just threw out a random comment saying you guys should collaborate together. And, you know, I wouldn't have probably had the, had, the, you know, I wouldn't have been so upfront about saying something like that. You know, I wouldn't want to embarrass myself, mm. but because that guy said it, lift responded positively and was like, yeah, I'd be down for that. And, and so it, it, it opened the door for me to then collaborate with lift. So we did the song called terror again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It came off the back of, of, of you, you see what I'm saying? How sure shot was so integral to the album is yeah. like a chain of events. If I didn't give sure shot that beat and he didn't, play it to Edon when he knew he was going to have Edon's ear. Then we do the song together, you know, me and Edon, and then he plays it to Liff. And, that, you know, it's just beautiful the way sometimes, you know, you know, going back to what I said about right back to music for the mature people, it's luck plays such a big part in, in anything in life. You know, I truly believe that you make your own luck, you know, stay positive, stay focused, be a good person. Hopefully, you know, treat, treat people as you, as you'd like to be treated yourself, you know, yeah. and, and, and hopefully the, the good luck will come back to you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, that's really good to hear. Um, I'm almost done, I think, but what's next? Yeah. Sorry. I've talked your ears off. Haven't I? <laughs> no, 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 no. It's been, it's, no, it's been good, man. It's been perfect. Um, what's what's next for you then? Have you got any more projects in the pipeline? Is there anything else you want to explore musically? You... Um, at this moment in time, quite honestly, I'm still musically, you know, creatively uh, in the same in the same place that I was when I made uh, Devil's Workshop, and I've still got some some unfinished songs that the you know i got to the point with devil's workshop where i was like i need to finish this and put it out i can't yeah. just continue you know because i i was really sort of like stuck in that process for about almost the best part of three years where most of it was done by the time the whole you know covid you know 1984 came about so it it it, it i i it was really kind of like 75% done at that point. So beyond that, I was just, I just spent a long time perfecting things and, and all that kind of stuff. I'd spent really the best part of three years doing that. And I've got other stuff that I need to finish that really could have been a part of devil's workshop. So my, my intention is to make another album. That's probably going to pretty much be in that same vein. You know, that's definitely how I feel at the moment. 
I just needed to sort of take a natural, you know, break from it a little bit because it, it, you, you, I, I, I can't speak for everyone, but me personally, I do find it exhausting to like not only going through the process of doing the album, but then I sort of do everything that comes afterwards. You know, I put the music out myself and with that comes a lot of stress, a lot of, a lot of ups and downs, a lot of highs and lows. And I just find that I need to really take a break and recharge my batteries before I'm ready to sort of put myself through the whole process again. So I hope that by the time I do, you know, because I started trying to do something last week and it really didn't go anywhere. I got, I got really frustrated <laughs> and, I, and I thought, OK, you know, let, let, let's wait another week or so. But but yeah, at the moment, my intention is just intention is just to continue that sort of vibe from from Devil's Workshop, you know, musically, artistically. That's where my head's at. So yeah. that's that's the only plan at the moment, really. Yeah. Well, no, that's good. man. I look forward to hearing what what that brings forth. Um, well, thank but, you. Yeah, well, no, thank you for uh, for talking with me, and um, I'm glad you're getting back to the gigs. I hope it goes well. On is it Friday? Yeah, yeah, Friday. Yeah. yeah. Where, where, where are you? is it a new? Is it a new venue? Yeah, playing? it's it's a new place called Lost Horizon uh, in Bristol, and I don't. I assume that that moving forwards, it, it you know the intention is it f- for it to be a normal gig where people stand up and dance. But at the moment it's like a seated sort of uh, yeah. venue, which personally really suits me. So easing me back into the idea of doing gigs. I'm like, yeah, the idea of a seated audience. So, you know, I don't have the pressure of having to play fast and funky stuff. Maybe I can be a little bit more experimental because I know people will be sitting down, but yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's a new venue. I'm, I'm, I'm honestly really excited to play. I just, I just need to get my head around what records I'm going to take because it's such a luxury <laughs> yeah, to know yeah. that I don't have to make people dance. Yeah. Oh man. Um, I'm I'm living in Ireland at the moment, so I can't. Oh, are I, you? I, yeah, I've been here for a few months. Sort of, I was losing my mind a bit over <laughs> in England. So yeah, I um, surprised. Yeah. I had an invitation to to come out to my friend's place in rural Ireland. So I'm. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, no, it's been lovely, man. But I'm heading back um, over to England soon, and I might actually be heading down to Brighton way. So I will I will give you a shout if I do. Please do, please do. It'll be lovely to meet up and have a cup of tea or a beer or whatever your poison is. That'd be really nice. Yeah, nice one, man. All right, well, look, take care and thank you again for, for doing this. Yeah, th- well, thanks to you and thanks for your time, Tim. I really do appreciate you, you know, taking the time to chat with me. So no, thanks great. very much.